when money does not matter anymore, uh, when money is uh, taken out of equation, I found that we are highly dependable on each other, you know, you and the community, especially where Southeast Asia, which has one third of its population is youth. It has become important for youth to step up for the communities. And when something catastrophic like this happens, all our solutions, they automatically are needed to reorient to our community-based solutions. From ASEAN to Australia, it's ASIP On Air, the show where we amplify young voices, explore diverse perspectives, and deepen conversations on key issues across Australia and Southeast Asia. In this episode, Min Punya joins us from Myanmar as we explore the forms and potential of youth stakeholder engagement in Southeast Asia. Thank you for joining us today. We're very happy to have you on our show. Can you share a little bit about how you came up with the article? Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, so. In this article, I emphasized for two sides, so the adult perceptions and the youth itself um, in a profound way. So along my advocacy, I've met both sides of them. And what I found is that these perceptions of self-restraint, not only in adults, but also in the youth stakeholders, youth leaders themselves, and that makes the progress of advocacy, it does not get to its maximum, and it happens often. So I've been always wanting to speak about this and I've got this opportunity to write about it. And basically what I wrote is that to change perceptions on youth involving in policy making process and the affairs relating to their communities and to see them more as necessary stakeholders, uh, not just as um, an, a demographic group or not just as um, a simple a population group to appeal, to appease, but to see them as essential stakeholders that could really help uh, the policies, that could really help the answers to be more relevant in implementation. My article aims to message both the adults and the youth to see more of themselves as not uh, not just as um, uh, figures to each other, but to see as um, hands that could um, work together and the most important thing is that this view should exist not because of morality or not because of political aspiration. We need to change these perceptions because the process demands it. And if we fail to, we'll not be able to get the best of results. It was also interesting that you spoke about hands working together equally. You mentioned at the first part of your article about the Sating Pusa, which actually in the Philippines, we also have the same concept, but instead of Sating Pusa, it's called Saling Pusa. And I understand where you were coming from, where a lot of the time, youth are seen as mascots and today it's very important that we get to talk about this so for those that are unfamiliar can you please tell us what the asian youth development index is and it's relevant to youth engagement in the region sure so 
To simply put it, it is the first ever document produced by ASEAN in 2017, which reflects the progress of the member states for youth in five domains. They're basically education, health and well-being, employment and opportunity, uh, and ASEAN awareness and identity. So the main success of this document is that it is the first document which ever reviews the progress of governments on youth. So when I start to uh, write this article, I had to uh, I had to go through the literature review, and surprisingly, there's no official data or there's no official report about youth. So uh, I could say this is a success of ASEAN as a region to start uh, recognizing the need to reflect on youth. By starting with this document, they start to see what they need to do with youth, what areas does youth need help in. This is really relevant because not because of its technical importance, but because of its, its embedded message of, okay, we're, we're going to talk with you. I agree. It's so easy to feel like we are dismissed when we don't have that black and white document that acknowledges that we exist. It is really a big win for ASEAN to have this ASEAN Youth Development Index. Well, our generation is big on self-development and self-care. It's interesting that the motivation of youth groups mentioned in your article are rooted for caring for others. Considering that there is little to no monetary incentive, why do you think that is? Yeah, so surprisingly, we found there is um, youth tends to create solutions of, uh, towards uh, the benefit of all. And I would like to add that there is monetary incentive in some of the projects, some of the groups, but the culture of the region does not really inhabit such such projects. It's much harder for youth to start an initiatives that are, you know, that relates with monetary it's harder for the youth, youth groups and youth leaders to uh, continue their initiatives with uh, financial activities. Found that most of them, they tend to make it non-profit. Also, when I wrote this article, it was in the midst of COVID-19 pandemic. So it was way much worse than we are today now. So what emerged at that time is that the monetary and the financial incentives, they're no longer important than the community itself. So in Yama, there are many people dying, you know, economics is failing, and this disrupted uh, many existing youth groups and their, and their programs. And they need to, you know, they need to reset themselves to adapt to the situation. And, and when this happens, they tend to create new solutions, new programs, new projects in order to, to be relevant to their communities. And what I found is that at the end, at, when money does not matter anymore, uh, when money is uh, taken out of equation, I found that we are highly dependable on each other, you know, youth and the community, especially where Southeast Asia, which has one third of its population is youth. It has become important for youth to step up for the communities. It's an ordinary time. Um, ideas, you know, of grand programs, competitions, they mainly focus on the financial concept. And when something catastrophic like this happens, all our solutions, they automatically are needed to reorient to our community-based solutions. Finally, this COVID crisis, it alarms us. It reminds us that we need to reflect on our certain ways of our advocacy and our goals. They automatically 
um, turn back to their communities uh, because of this catastrophe. And I think that is the main point. I think if we start, if, I think from this lesson, I hope that the adult stakeholders and the stakeholders that are responsible for making accelerated programs, competitions, I hope they tend to see this important point of getting back to the human society, human values. And yeah, I think this is the reason. And this is the, the most amazing lesson uh, that we've learned uh, from COVID. Thank you so much for that. That was a very, very interesting insight into that. And I completely agree. I think, you know, youths in, in Southeast Asia, we represent quite a big population and we definitely need to support one another and we need some sort of legitimacy as well. And I guess something that's related to that is what I found is, you know, those in positions of power tend to be above the age of 50, especially in Southeast Asia and more broadly regions that have countries with varying levels of economic growth like we have. And in your account of passive stakeholder engagement, you drew on examples in Myanmar, such as the Red Rose campaign, where youth volunteers were able to disseminate information in a more comprehensible way for the wider community. How do we get leaders in Southeast Asia to actually take youth groups seriously or even provide support to youth groups to legitimize them? And if there is a generational gap, are they more perceptible to ignoring evident change in the status quo? Yeah, I, I think this is a really good question. And again, uh, I would like to emphasize that um, this uh, this piece it is more oriented to do a research article. So my um, account of these uh, forms of um, stakeholder engagement they're quite a novelty, but it is they're the phenomenons I've witnessed when I had uh, when I try to you know um, distinguish them. So even if the leaders, uh, if, even if they try to ignore or even if they ignore uh, these forms of stakeholder engagement, they will be still there. So what I want to give these forms of engagement exist, these uh, adult stakeholders, they, uh, what I want to encourage them is re-navigate their programs there to that percent. But mostly it is not dependent on the leaders uh, to get accepted, right? So this piece, it also aims to connect, uh, connect with the younger stakeholders. We, you also need to recognize that we are capable of these forms of engagements and we need to um, act in that way because sometimes the adult stakeholders, they may uh, try to reconnect. They may try to, you know, use that perception. But if the youth are stubborn not to change or if the youth are, you know, some of the youth leaders I've met, they are really traditional, uh, conventional in their ways of uh, communicating or conduction. So if we do not change or if we are being, uh, you know, uh, if we if we still do not change, the change will not come, I guess, because the change is here in this case is like two hands for a clap. So we need a clap, right? The youth can still come up. If we have this sense, if we have this sense of knowledge, and if we have this will. And that is what happened in Myanmar during COVID crisis, where the youth volunteers, youth initiatives, they came up and they assist these authorities, even if they do not know it, even if they didn't, uh, even if they didn't recognize it. So, and what I want to emphasize here is to um, adopt these perceptions and to work for it. Definitely, young people have to take more active participation when it comes to changes in our society. 
So both in passive and active youth engagement discussed in your article, it is apparent that social media and digital skills give young people a leverage, especially in dealing with adults. Do you reckon that being in the first generation to be born and raised under the Industry 4.0 would lead us to no longer being the sating pusa or the mascot or the smaller player in this equation? Uh, even if we have the technology, even if we have the enablement from the uh, adult stakeholders, if, we, if the youth does not dare to come up, we will still be mascots. And sometimes, just as uh, many political events, uh, these things happen because one side lacks of certain elements. I have met um, a lot of youth advocates along the way, organizations, and often it is not the adults who are the problem. It is the, the, the leaders, the youth leaders themselves who are blocking the development or who are blocking the chance for themselves. We have this possibility. But first, our main focus should be the way we see ourselves. And in doing so, uh, I plead uh, both sides, the adult and the youth stakeholders, to make it inclusive. Because most of the time, especially in, in certain countries from Southeast Asia, we only have, you know, little variety of youth figures, this fixed number of youth figures, you know, only these people running the country, you know, running the affairs relating to the country. So we must change that. We must make it possible for everyone, for possible for every youth, no matter their socioeconomic background, education background, racial background. And I plead this to both, uh, the, adult and youth stakeholders for adult youth stakeholders to make more inclusive activities, inclusive programs, you know, more, you know, opportunities, more um, to accommodate more numbers of youth. But, but if we skip it and if we don't acknowledge it, but focus on the technologies and, you know, uh, formal policy, complex policies, ways um, themselves, I think uh, even if we have the best technology and the best communication between the adult stakeholders, uh, I don't really think so. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the part that you mentioned where, you know, it, it's important to see youth leaders rising and that's the only way that other youth groups can actually step up and, you know, sort of have the initiative to start something on their own if they see someone like them having the legitimacy and the voice to actually make a difference. So yeah, I completely agree with that. Do you think it's more difficult for youth groups to act as stakeholders in Asian countries as compared to Western countries? I think it's a tricky question. Um, it's a very delicate question. So I, I would prefer not to give a definite answer here. But what I want to outline is that we have this turning moments in both of the societies, these answering moments. So in Asian countries, um, the youth sphere and the, the condition of youth groups, they're like quite difficult to operate officially, but they have this informal and official clusterings or collectiveness in them. So if these Asian countries have official enablement, just as the Burmese government did to youth volunteers for COVID treatment, I think they will be really good. I think they, they will be a very good way for everyone to participate. And if that happens, um, it will be much easier, especially Southeast Asian youths. Uh, they have this enthusiasm. They have this sense. Um, they have this determination. They know what they want and they have this um, collectiveness 
if there is an official enablement, they will be in the game shortly. So for the uh, Western communities, what I found is that um, they have everything official. They have everything. They have all of these official enablements. They have official programs. You know, um, they are adult stakeholders of authorities. They are much, very much more interested in youth. They see, uh, I think, they see youth more as stakeholders than the Southeast Asian stakeholders. But uh, what I found to be a problem is that then this is purely my personal opinion, and I don't really see this kind of collectiveness as Southeast Asian youth have. So if we have more, you know, collectiveness, if we are more informal and official collectiveness, just as the Southeast Asian youth have, and determination, of course, I think that would trigger the, you know, all of the potential of these Western youth stakeholders. So uh, this may be because of my um, uh, lack of uh, research and education about Western youth. But I feel like, um, yeah, there, there should be more collectiveness between them. I think this is not uh, solely their um, problem. I think this will be because of their identities, uh, their geographical locations, their cultures and their society, right? Because uh, the Southeast Asian societies, they have these common problems. They have these common problems. They have this common demographic because in Southeast Asian countries, um, they have most most of the member states, majority of their population group are youth. So they share all of this um, energy, all of these youth, all of these countries, they share this energy potential. Uh, that is one of the reasons why the Southeast Asian youth have the collectiveness uh, to work towards change because they've become not just youth, but they have become citizens in this case, in their case. So I think that is one of the main reasons uh, that uh, they have this unity. But I just want to emphasize again that I don't blame uh, any uh, Western youth stakeholders for not being uh, un uh, collective or united. I just think that there should be more connections between each of them, more connections between every socioeconomic background, youth with every socioeconomic background, every racial background. And I think if we can work on that for both of the Southeast Asian and for Western, I think it would be much easier for both communities, both societies to have this youth stakeholdership. Thank you for that. Yeah, I, you know, I definitely think in the West, there's definitely a lot of issues that they undergo, especially in youth groups. Even having a common language is sometimes an issue for them. In, yeah, you know, because it's you know, like we are so diverse, so are they, and that's yeah. definitely one of the challenges that they have, even in a geographical uh, space, and you know how close or how far apart they are. Even social norms and things like that that definitely adds up to yeah, actually yeah. the success of a youth group. But I think you brought up some very important points as well, and I thank you for that. It was an absolute delight to have you on this episode. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of ASIP On Air, special edition on the ASIP Review 2020. Get your copy of the ASEAN Australia Review at ASIP.org. And follow us on all social media and subscribe to ASIP On Air on Spotify to catch our weekly episodes.